A challenge for us travelers is to have experiences, to enjoy other cultures with all the sensuality possible. And one great opportunity that a lot of us miss is opera. We're joined today by Fred Plotkin. Fred's a bon vivant author. He's a self-described pleasure activist, and he's an expert in opera. We've talked to Fred before about Italian cuisine. Now we're going to talk to Fred about opera. His guidebook to opera is Opera 101, a complete guide to learning and loving opera. Fred Plotkin, thanks for joining us. Thank you. It kind of reminds me of in the movie when, when Harry met Sally. Remember the, the woman was sort of having an orgasm over her beautiful dinner, and uh, somebody else goes, uh, I'll have what she's having. I, I get that sense when I'm in Europe. Other people are just into opera. How can we get in on the ecstasy? Well, that's the first time I've ever heard opera compared to a pastrami sandwich. <laughs> I would just ratchet up the verb a bit and say rather than appreciate opera, we, we love opera. And the people who tell me they hate opera tend to be the people who had the bad experience as a child of being taken without preparation and having to sit in a five-hour Wagnerian marathon. Wagner is fabulous, but not for kids. The thing about opera is it is a projection of who we are. And among the many things we love about opera is we see the whole range of human experience and emotion and passions that in our rather polite, politically correct society we don't permit ourselves to talk about. But nonetheless, believe me, we still experience all these things. So the place where many opera lovers go to share those feelings is in the opera house. Combine that with the fact that you've taken great stories, set them to music, now, where the problem is for many people is they think they're supposed to understand everything through the words. So if the opera is in Italian or German or French, they say, I don't get it. My answer is read the story or the synopsis before, then listen to the music because that is where the story is told. Huh. So you wrote, open your heart without inhibitions and let the music flow through. My hang-up has been trying to be worried about, oh, I'm, I'm not following the plot completely, and, you know, of course, I don't speak the language. So we need to, like, ease up then. True. We are such a literal, analytical society, and everything in our education points us toward understanding. But I'm a believer that understanding is more at a visceral, hormonal level. We get it because we share the human experience. This conversation that we're having is a very intimate experience among friends who have never met personally, but are friends. And it's that same experience at the opera. You may not personally know the singer, but she's your friend in that you know her voice, you know what she looks like. And when she sings for you, now, mind you, it is without a microphone. And nowadays, to hear sound that is unmitigated by electronics is very rare. And here they're singing beautifully over an orchestra that is not amplified. This is a very sensorial experience, and that's why we have this intimacy and this excitement. People who go to the opera thinking they're supposed to follow the story in words are missing out on the main experience. As I was reading your book, it occurred to me, Shakespeare is another challenge for a lot of people. There's no doubt opera and Shakespeare are really fundamental in culture. They're just so undeniably 
really important, but a lot of people have a tough time with it. And Shakespeare and Hopper have something in common. They're just masterful at dealing with the human experience. Hamlet is often compared to Mozart's Don Giovanni in that they are so global, so universal, that whatever we walk into the theater with and then encounter from the actors of the singers in the telling of the story that night is what we take away. So that if we are having romantic issues and go to see Don Giovanni and discover that he seems to be on top of his game in terms of love and romance and sex, but in fact he's not, where we connect to that may be through his character and maybe through one of the three women we meet in the opera who he tries to seduce. The thing about masterpieces is they are not plain and simple. They're prismatic. It's like holding up a cut crystal. If you turn it slightly, you see a different reflection of something else. What we put into that reflection, that facet, is what we get back. I, w- I would imagine you've seen some operas dozens of times. Hundreds of times. Hundreds of Literally times. Literally hundreds. I'm not exaggerating. It's like holding up a crystal, huh? You can look at it depending on where you're at in that part of your life, or what does the venue mean to you, or, or who are the performers? Well, all of that. For example, the fact that, let's take Madama Butterfly by Puccini. I saw it for the first time when I was 18 in Bologna. Madame Butterfly is 18 in the opera, but the woman playing it was 40. I didn't yet realize that she was playing 18 because I was 18. As I've gotten older and as I've had different life experiences, the story of this Japanese woman who has a baby with an American sailor who shows up and then disappears and then comes back and takes the baby away, all sung in Italian, can seem very strained, but when you realize that what this is about is love, abandonment, selfishness, parental affection, the older you get and the more experience you Mm. have, the more you relate to that same Mm. opera differently. If you see different productions in different places that tell the story differently and then hear different women singing the role of Madame Butterfly, it all changes. So we live, we opera lovers live with these operas over the arc of a lifetime. So Madame Butterfly didn't mean much to me at 18. It means a lot to me now. Perhaps La Boheme, which I found very gripping when I was a 20-year-old, has a different meaning now because it's about a phase of life that I've passed, and I'm now in other phases of life. So opera is there to reflect who we are. Now, when you go to an opera many, many times over the course of your life as an opera lover... It kind of raises the bar for the performers to bring something intimate and and, uh, unique to the performance, I would imagine, also. There's a lot expected out of the performers other than just performing well musically. What I try to do is go not with the history of every Madame Butterfly I've seen before me, but to step into the theater and see the woman who's singing it and let her give me her version. Now, When we go to the opera, we are, let's say you've flown from New York to Vienna or Milan. You might be jet-lagged. You might be in a different mood. You might be in an elated mood. We see these works repeatedly just the way we reread certain iconic books, go back and look at great films and paintings and plays, because they are works of art that offer different things at different times. So I try as an audience member to arrive fresh, alert, and with no preconceptions. 
I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're speaking with Fred Plotkin, and and Fred writes the How to Appreciate Opera book. It's called Opera 101, A Complete Guide to Learning and Loving Opera. Fred, an opera takes usually three hours or more. In in this speedy 21st century, is it outmoded, or or can you make a case that it's more important than ever that we, we take this time? On the contrary, it's more important than ever. You know how we sit down to a slow meal, and we enjoy it more because we can savor everything. If you are removed from the worries and stresses of daily life and can sit surrounded by beauty, surrounded by emotion, surrounded by other people who are similarly experiencing that emotion and beauty, it's a very transporting event. And I think it's necessary, just the way some people go to the gym to, quote, zone out, other people will go for a long walk, other people will meditate, Many of us go to the opera, not to escape, but to deepen ourselves, but not in the sense of self-improvement, but in the sense of giving in. I don't analyze when I go to the opera. I pay attention, but I let everything come into me. And then when I leave the theater, that's when I start putting the pieces together. Now, when you leave the theater, Fred, sometimes do you think, ah, it just wasn't quite right, and other times... Everything came together. This was, I'll always remember this evening. Yes. I I can pinpoint for you, as any opera lover can, the great experiences they've had. In my case, the greatest performance I ever saw was in April of 1979 in Barcelona. And it starred Montserrat Caballé, José Carreras, and Juan Pons, all of them Catalan, singing in an opera called Andrea Chenier. It is one of my favorite operas. These were three Catalan artists playing to the home crowd, like Barcelona's football club playing at home. Because Catalonia had just become somewhat independent in the political events that happened after the death of Francisco Franco, for the first time they were allowed to speak in Catalan, so the program was printed in Catalan, all of which is to say that the audience that night experienced identity with the stars. I'm getting goosebumps as I'm talking to you. And the stars were energized by this and really pulled out all the stops, sang the music fantastically well, and the ovations went on for more than an hour after the performance ended. Whoa. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. And you still remember that from 1979. I could hear it as if it were yesterday. Oh, my goodness. What was the hall? What, where was that performance? It's the Teatro Liceu, L-I-C-E-U, okay. in right. Barcelona on the Rambles next to the Bocadilla Market. Again, I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're talking with Fred Plotkin. And, Fred, if we're planning a trip, um, Europe is sort of the, um, the heartland of opera. What, France, Italy, Austria, and Germany would be the great classic countries for opera? And the Czech Republic and Russia. Okay, and if you're, if you're going to Europe, what's the checklist of great opera houses to um, try to experience? Well, there's a wonderful website I use called Operissimo, O-P-E-R-I-S-S-I-M-O dot com, that lists opera houses and their websites in 46 countries. And whenever I plan a trip, what I tend to do is say, okay, I'm planning to go to Berlin. Let's see what's on in Berlin in March. And then once I see what's on, then I pick my flight dates based on that. So it's a very valuable tool. Hmm. But Berlin is fascinating because they have three opera houses. 
One of them is the old opera house from before World War II. One of them is the Deutsches Oper in West Berlin that was built after the wall went up. And then there's the Komische Oper, the comic opera, which is an older company as well. So that in Berlin, every night of the year practically, you have three operas to choose from. So it's a great destination. I wouldn't say it's the best, but it's great. Wow, that's quite a public demand for opera that they could put on three different operas each night in one city. Well, bless the Berliner's heart. They fund the arts more in the city of Berlin than the entire United States government does for arts in our 50 states. Wow. And I, I know in, in Austria, in Vienna, they do a lot to fund the arts. Uh, last time I was in Vienna, they actually had a big screen in front of the opera house so people who couldn't afford to get in or were not able to get tickets could actually enjoy the opera uh, as it was being performed inside. Actually, though, that's copied from the Metropolitan Opera. It was invented in New York. Oh, is that right? Okay. Other companies are doing it now. It's done in the baseball stadiums in Washington and San Francisco, and many theaters do it, but it was invented and premiered at the Metropolitan Opera. Let's talk about great potential experiences as you're traveling. Um, what about great outdoor venues? Uh, I used to go to the Baths of Caracalla in Rome for the opera. That's a great one. Another one that is off the charts a bit that people don't know is Bregenz in western Austria. It's done on Lake Constance, and they build a raft on the lake. And on that raft is the scenery. So the performers go out in boats before the performance or perhaps swim out and get into costume, and they're all backstage behind the scenery on the raft and come forward. And we audience members sit on land looking out at the raft. And it's a wonderful experience, acoustically not the best, but fascinating nonetheless. What about the uh, Verona has opera in it? Verona in the Arena di Verona was built in 100 A.D., and people descend from all over Europe. There are about 19,000 seats. This is done in the summers, and they do grand opera, which is to say massive productions, crowds of thousands. When I was a teenager... I worked there in the summers as an assistant director and a gopher. And what you need to know about Verona, wonderful magical setting, great food after the opera, wonderful pizzas right across the street, but bring an umbrella. Ah. In Great Britain, there is Glyndebourne. Glyndebourne is this wonderful meadow that you go out to and you sit and you bring a wonderful catered picnic. The British dressed in tuxedos and gowns to sit on the ground, to feast on oysters and champagne and grouse and all of that. And they really turn out for that. The productions are wonderful too, but so much of what Glyndebourne is about is the audience experience. How do you spell Glyndebourne? G-L-Y-N-D-E-B-O-U-R-N-E, near London. You know, I was in Venice recently, and there's a palazzo where you have opera scenes going through this incredible palace, and I thought it was so magical to take you back to see the opera kind of in the proper context historically. Have you been to that? Yes. Well, opera, as we know, it was not invented in Venice. It was invented in Florence, but it didn't really get off the ground until it reached Venice, which was the first great city of opera. And in the first century of opera from 1597 to 1697, they built 17 opera houses in Venice and premiered 388 new works in Venice. No city in the world can match that. 
And you probably went to the Palazzo Vendramin, uh-huh. where they do these kind of backstage uh, at the opera through history events. Wagner lived there. Fred, take us to a memorable opera experience you've had recently and inspire us to enjoy opera properly. Every time I walk into a theater, I have the expectation that this will be a great and memorable night. And that can happen either because it's an opera I don't know or one I love, but most typically it happens when I hear a singer who just absolutely blows me away because people who are old and I'm oldish always say there are no good singers anymore. I walked into a theater the other night, the Metropolitan Opera, and heard a young soprano from Centralia, Washington, named Angela Mead, who absolutely brought the house down. She was singing the very difficult role of Anna Bolena, or Anne Boleyn, where she replaced the very famous star Anna Netrebko, who's a great star. Angela Mead absolutely nailed the music. Her drama, her passion was infectious. And when she came forward for her curtain call, the theater exploded. There she was stepping in, in effect, for someone who was a very famous star and so completely overwhelming the audience with her talent. She's in her early 30s. So when you hear someone like that and you say, I was there for it, you can tell that story for the rest of your life. You can remember it. And frankly, now that we have things such as satellite radio where these performances are recorded, they will be accessible to us in the future. And so I always say, expect greatness, and you'll be lucky to find it. Fred Plotkin, author of Opera 101, Complete Guide to Learning and Loving Opera. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Rick's weekly one-hour radio program, Travel with Rick Steves, airs in more than 130 cities across the country. Help yourself to free podcasts of past shows and audio tours of Europe's greatest sites and museums in the radio section of our website. For the latest on Rick's radio and TV work, his guidebooks, and his European tours with small groups, visit ricksteves.com.